Welcome to the Innovation Oz Capability Forum. My name's James Riley. I'm the editorial director of innovationoz.com. Innovation Oz publisher Corey McLeod will be speaking with Michelle Simmons, the celebrated physicist and CEO of Silicon Quantum Computing, and Rear Admiral Lee Goddard, who's now head of partnerships and operations at the Mindaroo Foundation. They'll be talking about ambition, ecosystems, and future industries. Lee and Michelle, thank you for joining us. Lee, I'm going to start just bringing off some of the comments from the Ambassador. You've also said that the AUKUS Pact is a technology arrangement that represents a once-in-a-generation opportunity for Australia's sovereign future industries. We heard about some of them from the Ambassador. What are other future industries we should be thinking about? Well, thanks, Corinne. Thanks to Innovation Australia for including me today. And it's a real honour, of course, to be here with, uh, with Michelle as well. What we need to make clear, it's not a security alliance, so it's not a security pact. This is a technology transfer and an innovation access and transfer arrangement. And it's really exciting. It's a time of innovation for Australia. And this really is a seminal moment as we really assess how we're going to take this opportunity. So some of those um, technologies that Arthur Sinodos just spoke about includes quantum, artificial intelligence, robotics, cyber, advanced undersea systems, digital twinning. You know, these are technologies that Australia not only uh, in some case owns, but we actually are the leader, a global leader. So that's why I highlight it's actually uh, access and a transfer arrangement. Out of this, I think you know, the, the fundamental questions is what do we own? What do we need to collaborate on? And what do we need to access? Because this is about our sovereignty, our security, our prosperity, and delivering next generation technologies to not only our Australian Defence Force, but across our national security system and wider in creating that sense of innovation across the Australian system. And we'll talk about, of course, the ecosystem later on. Michelle, this is a good place to bring you in. You have a, a global view of the quantum computing landscape. Yeah. You've been working on the quantum computing in Australia for 20 years. Yeah. Where are we? Where are we in the global landscape? Yeah, look, I think it's amazing that not many Australians recognise that we are actually world leaders in this. We got in 20 years ago when the field was really transitioning from a theory to an experimental realisation. Over that 20 years, we've developed leadership in actually manufacturing and building hardware here in Australia and then building the ecosystem around it to actually operate those systems. I think it's, you know, the Australian research system for 20 years has invested in centres of excellence, which is unique globally, that you know, 100, 200 people working on a particular project. We now have six centres of excellence in Australia where quantum is at the core of it. And we've also looked at, you know, unique models of translating that research out of those research centres into companies. And so, you know, in that getting government industry and universities working together, Australia really takes leadership in the area. We'll come back a little bit more to the world view on quantum, but that goes to a point around ecosystems. Now, as you've been in the Navy for a long time, you've been 12 months out in the Mindaroo Foundation, which is in itself structurally quite interesting. What have you seen about the ecosystem and bringing together those different parts that can really make change happen? Yeah, thanks, Corey. Just building on Michelle from quantum, of course, that's exciting. That computing power, when you think about our hypersonics and we're developing Australia, our guided missiles, our digital twinning, it really will unlock our potential. Said so it's about our not only accessing, but our transfer. In terms of the ecosystem, of course, um, I transferred from a full-time career in the Navy in January. I still, of course, maintain my, uh, my other service credentials. But really, 
what I've seen is the ecosystem isn't just the corporates, isn't just defence, isn't just governments, but it's, of course it's the research sector, it's the innovation sector, it's the venture capital sector. When that ecosystem comes together, they can make impact and do things very quickly and they can unlock potential. So um, being in an impact philanthropy, the Mindaroo Foundation, the data, the evidence, the talent is actually drawn in because as a collective, you can make a change very quickly and you can get to the most innovative technologies, not just here in Australia, but also collaborate globally as well. I think the idea of being able to change things quickly and mobilise talent, you know, is something that we have an opportunity to take a, a new view with, the, with something like the AUKUS Pact. You know, Michelle, you talk all the time, you know, both locally and internationally, that sense of momentum and the sense of ambition, just springing off what Lee just said, you know, there's a real opportunity to kind of bring some of this to life with a, a refreshed view of energy. There is, and you know, I think one of the um, the things that I'm particularly keen on is that we get Australians really at the high technological edge. You know, data intensive industries where they're actually building and creating industries here in Australia. We attract people from all over the world. We've just done a hire. We've got people coming from MIT, from CNRS in France, from all the, the leading groups from Microsoft, from Delft, wanting to join us here in Australia. So we've got this incredible momentum where people want to go to where the leadership is, and it's an opportunity for us to actually capitalise that, bring Australian students along with it, and actually create those industries now. Can I ask another question? I think for many people, quantum has been such a long range, full of potential, but in terms of actually realising its power. Can you give us a sense of where the reality is from an application perspective now? Where will we see its application? What are we really talking about in defence, but also other industries that might be looking to future-proof? Yeah, look, at you know, quantum computing obviously allows you to do calculations much faster than you can with classical. So, you know, literally minutes as opposed to thousands of years. And it comes from that massive parallel compute power. Every industry that has data will need it eventually. And so it's a question of looking at what those applications are now. And if you look at each different sector, you'll see in the defense industry, there's huge numbers, whether it's optimization of their, their troop supplies and their supply chain management, uh, strategic planning for them. It looks at materials design, whether it's materials for the stealth so that they can protect their aircraft or new battery designs, all the way through to kind of optimization and artificial intelligence looking at patterns of behavior signals in the electromagnetic spectrum and then finally in defense you're even looking at code breaking you know code breaking is one of the big applications long term where you know people can actually see secrets from different countries you know and that's the things that protect the infrastructure and the finance systems of those countries and then if we look at you know other industries such as the finance sector we're working with the Commonwealth Bank they're looking at optimizing their portfolios for their customers looking at risk analysis watching how to look at the market itself and predict those trends all the way through to the telecom communications industry and, and how you get the signals out and the, the, the benefit of all the different people in the world connecting together. So, you know, those industries are now engaging. They're actually funding it here in Australia. And going forward, you know, there's huge potential capability in those applications within the next five to ten years. So that partnerships with those organisations are really about co-creating solutions. There's so much, I guess, you're working on and understanding the power of quantum that... Yeah, it's still, it's still at that stage where it's uh, the development, late stage development stage and looking at what those applications are and building the hardware specifically for the end user applications is really starting to happen. And Australia, again, got in at the front. We've got two big global corporates that sensed this, you know, five, ten years ago and partnered with us as it was coming along. I'm going to ask sort of both of you as a question. One of the things that, you know, understand is that whilst we've had this long, you know, history with quantum in this country, we're seeing other countries really kind of rapidly, you know, developing their own, you know, technologies. And that's been a little bit fast-tracked by the industries that are able to pull through the application. So, Lee, from what you can see now that in this sort of fresh role, but also with your history in the Navy, how does Australia fast-track the industry development to pull through some of these emerging technologies? Because ultimately... The faster we can adapt our own technologies, the faster we can grow them and test them and export them. 
Yeah, the first thing, let's not self-deter Australia. Let's be restlessly ambitious because we actually have the talent and we have the history now, especially with quantum. And it's incredibly exciting, the potential. Not only exciting, it's actually critical that we actually uh, drive through what we say we're going to do. That is develop, attract talent and actually really build on the, uh, the quantum momentum that we have. I think we can't be conservative here. We need to actually take some risks. And that's okay because, you know, I think sometimes from a military perspective, I know you're very careful with risks, say, in the operational environment, but risk is actually opportunity. And I think we've got to take it. I mentioned at the start about what AUKUS means, about own, access or potential collaborate. This clearly is an own and we need to drive it. The notion of risk is very interesting. We hear about it, whether it's about venture capital, whether it's about founders failing. You know, Michelle, we've spoken before about, you know, as a scientist, everything's about testing and failing and moving on. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do we how do we shift that tolerance for, you know, fast failure and taking risks and pushing through? I mean, that's a big cultural question. Mm. Are we seeing change? Are we getting there? Are we understanding that failure is okay? Look, I, I think it's slow. It is slow in Australia. There's still that sense that you shouldn't fail. But, you know, any anyone that is a scientist that's building something knows that that's actually inherent to the success. So you have to embrace failure. It's how you learn and how you do things. And I think now Australia is in a position where it really can transition out of those industries. Looking at what's happening, you know, Lee's mentioned it, all the different support sectors that are out there, but actually having government, you know, choosing areas of strategic national importance for national security and economic benefit actually does help that. And that's sort of they're taking a bold approach to where it's those... You've got to be bold, yeah. bold and ambitious. And I think uh, David Peaver is now leading a review on behalf of Minister Melissa Price, which is going to look at our innovation, our science and technology and delivering these capabilities. But of course, part of that will be about being bold, you know, taking the risks that we need to, to actually move through. We obviously will get access to the US system and we'll collaborate and we'll actually transfer things to the US system. But we could look at some of their examples, for example, DARPA, you could tell other uh, systems already in place in the US that potentially have an opportunity here in Australia, not necessarily to replicate, but look how those systems have actually encouraged innovation and the courage to actually take the risk you need to actually drive next generation uh, capabilities. And Michelle, going back to sort of, sort of global view, you're on the American Physics Society. Division of Quantum Information. That's one. <laughs> um, do globally, do people know, is it well known where we have those capabilities? Absolutely. It is. So, so you know, so I'm the chair of that society and I get to see all across the American system, all the way through the, the quantum computing hardware chain from software to hardware and applications. And they know Australia has huge talent. So um, they see us as a pool of talent that they can take information from. So obviously partnering with them is a, a good way where both sides get the benefit. In areas where we lead, I think we have to get behind it and show that, you know, as I said, even the schemes of bringing researchers and industry and universities and government together, that is something that the US is still picking up from us. So there are areas where we lead in, in multiple ways, not just the technology, but the translation of that technology. And I've heard lots of people from the US and John Martinez came to join us from Google. And he said, you know, I wanted to do what you've done here in the US, but it wasn't possible. Mm. So, you know, we've got to own it where we lead and not be shy of it and, and, and continue to lead. It's interesting you could sometimes argue that in regards to things like quantum, Australia can be small but perfectly formed. And if we're good at that <laughs> stuff. Um, so, Lee, previously you were part of New Generation Navy team and Deputy Director of Transformation and Innovation. Just looking at the view of looking mm. at something like transformation and innovation within defence or within the Navy and all the things we've been talking to now about bold and you know ambition and harnessing ecosystems, are things changing, do you think? Are we, what was the view then and what do you think the view is now? 
So that program was 10 years ago, and I think when we used the word innovation, we were just working towards a cliche. Mm -hmm. uh, I think now, 10 years on, we've made significant progress in terms of a mindset. You know, we can talk about our cultural change and in defence, of course, that draws certain focus. But in terms of our innovation, wider engagement with the wider ecosystem, and understanding that uh, the best answers aren't inside, they're often outside, and how you actually attract those. So New Generation Navy was you know, about a cultural and a leadership program. But actually, 10 years later, I'm proud to say you can actually see that the next generation of Australian Defence Force personnel and all our supporting uh, organisations are far more innovative. We're not there yet. And I think we, um, you know, we, we do sometimes self-deter and we sometimes put our, our own limitations, our own glass ceilings on the things that we potentially can achieve. And I think sometimes security is wrapped around that. And I think we can be much smarter about how we actually bring in others because uh, the talent set isn't just in Australia. And we've got to, of course, we've got to attract the best and the brightest from the globe, mm. and especially on the areas that we are leading. Just one other comment, just a sense of pride as well. As an Australian Defence Force person, it's a real sense of pride when I talk about quantum and hypersonics, digital twinning, and all those technologies that Australia is leading. You'll find Australian Defence Force people when they go around the globe. They're very aware of it and very proud of that as well. And so we really want to take that forward. So coming back to you, Michelle, where we're at now, so for the next 12, say 24 months, where is Silicon Quantum Computing at as a company? What's the future looking like in the kind of medium term in terms of quantum in this country? Oh, well, so we're absolutely gunning to build a processor here in Australia. You know, a lot of people think you need a multi-billion dollar industry, manufacturing industry to build it. We can actually build it here without that. So that's something we're very excited about. But yeah, we're on the mission to build what we call a 10 qubit quantum integrated circuit, our first minimum viable product, about 100 qubits within five years. And then to build the, the industry around it, you know, using literally hardware, software, engineers at every level. It's going to create a whole new transformational computing industry here in Australia. We've got two minutes left and I just wanted to use it because it's sort of been implied in the conversation we've had today, but the idea of sovereignty, sovereign capability, what we can have here, where we found some of those fragile supply chains throughout the, the COVID pandemic. So Lee, you'll have seen, you know, sovereign capability obviously is vital to, you know, defence. Where are the areas that you may have seen even through the work with Mindaroo right now, from sovereignty that we really need to own? And Michelle, I'll ask you the same question, quantum is obvious, but will it be others, yeah. I'm sure? So sovereignty is one word. I think self-reliance and the reality is the strategic situation has changed. So Australia needs to stand up and actually do the things it needs to do to reflect the strategic situation. Of course, our own sovereignty a sense of pride and obviously generating innovation and jobs and work for Australians, but also because we need to be self-reliant because the situation has changed. The only thing I'll just end with, with uh, Mindaroo, of course, is uh, this sovereignty and self-reliance means the talent's here. And we're very keen to use much of this technology uh, as dual-use technology, it's not just for defence and national security. We've got to adapt to climate change. Yeah. We've got to clean up our oceans. We've got to observe certain parts of the world. For example, I uh, search for MH370. I'm looking forward to advanced undersea systems so we actually can really discover the Indian Ocean in full. So that dual-use technology opportunity is just terrific. There's a lot of ambition to be applied to a lot of challenges and opportunities. Um, Michelle, sovereignty from your perspective. Oh, look, I, you know, I look at it really from the, uh, the kind of educational side all the way through to industry. So we've got to get in and support our maths and physics teachers at schools. We've got to bring those through, uh, support the fundamental research at universities so that they can create those technologies, figure out how to translate well, get behind the companies that are out there, you know, strategically picking where we, where we lead and getting behind those corporates. You know, obviously quantum computing is one of those areas, but I look across the there's many areas where Australia leads and it's got to identify where they are and accelerate them. Lee Goddard, Michelle Simmons, an absolute delight to talk to you today. Thank you both so much. I'm now pleased to hand over to the Honourable Stephen Marshall MP, the Premier of South Australia, 
a state that's played a key role in Australia's submarines program to date. Thank you, Corrie. We have amazing talent in this country. I'm really glad to be involved in today's discussion. As you would all be aware, last month the Australian Government announced the very exciting news that South Australia will be home to the construction of Australia's first fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. We also secured a pipeline of defence projects through the Life of Type extension and the full cycle docking of the Collins class that will deliver thousands of jobs for South Australians for decades to come, reaffirming our position as the maritime construction and sustainment capital of the nation. This work is expected to see up to 5,000 South Australians employed in the naval shipbuilding industry by 2030. In addition to the expansion of our shipbuilding capabilities, the new AUKUS agreement will also present important growth opportunities across other defence domains such as information warfare, cyber and systems. With South Australia's Edinburgh Precinct established as the nation's centre of intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, the future prospects for local defence industry companies are absolutely booming. The Australian Government's investment in our state's capabilities is a testament to the great skills that we have here in South Australia. And our need for a highly skilled defence workforce will only grow as we scale up to deliver on these exciting projects. Our local defence industry is renowned for its proficiency, adaptability and its strong track record of collaboration and innovation to deliver highly complex projects. South Australia has some of the most experienced shipbuilding and defence workers in the country. It's these workers who will be in demand because of the unprecedented investment in our naval capabilities. However, my government also recognises that for Naval Group Australia and some others in the industry, the cancellation of the attack class submarine program is a major shock and lost opportunity. First and foremost, we will work to support those skilled workers to transition into new jobs, ensuring that we retain our highly capable, skilled shipbuilding workforce. I've already met with the heads of major defence industry companies with significant operations in South Australia to discuss how to support the transition of skilled workers and maximise business opportunities for local companies. A dedicated sovereign shipbuilding talent pool is already open with ASC committed to developing a program to retain our shipbuilding workers. The pathway to nuclear powered submarine construction becomes clearer over the next 12 to 18 months. During this time, we'll work closely with the Australian government to ensure the significant investment local industry has already made in capability uplift supports our future programs. South Australia's defence and manufacturing sector is robust, determined, proactive and highly driven. We are home to leading global defence industry companies and a thriving network of SMEs all dedicated to expanding the sector and increasing our sovereign capability. I have no doubt that the state's highly skilled workforce and defence companies are in the best position to take advantage of the job and business opportunities that lie ahead. The Naval Project announcements are a huge win for jobs in South Australia and will open the door for local businesses across all tiers to engage and partner with the defence industry sector domestically as well as across the US and the UK. It will see our state secured as the epicentre of Australia's shipbuilding and sustainment industry, providing the capability our Navy and Defence Force need to protect our nation into the future. 
Thank you, Premier. It's so exciting to hear about the pipeline of defence projects in South Australia, uh, the capability uplift and the opportunities for South Australia and the rest of Australia across other defence domains. So thank you once again to our panellists and to the attendees listening and watching. And an extra thank you to Verizon Business Group, whose support has made this possible. A reminder to the audience that the recording of this forum will be available on the Innovation Oz website. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.